Revelations 3, 1 through 6. And to the angel and the church of Sardis write, the words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works. You have reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Remember then what you received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know what hour I will come against you. Yet you will still have few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments. And they will be walking with me in white, for they are worthy. The ones who conquer will be clothed thus in white garments, and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Thank you, Daniel. You can be seated. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the chance now to come uh, before your word, and we pray that, uh, like uh, we just heard, we would have ears to hear what the Spirit says to the churches. God, open our hearts, our minds, our ears uh, to what you would have for us. Make us receptive uh, to your word. Father, we know that on our own, there is nothing we can conquer, but you have conquered all. And so we trust in you today that by faith we can conquer what you've put before us. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Early in, uh, in parenting, maybe like some of you, you could uh, commiserate with this. I struggled with over, overnight being woken up and being very useful. Like if, if something happened in the middle of the night where I needed to help out with the kids early in parenting, I was pretty useless. And thankfully, Amber stepped out uh, to take care of one of the kids or something because she'd be laughing right now because seven years in, honestly, I'm still pretty useless in the middle of the night. I'm, I'm not the most helpful when something happens uh, <laughs> and uh, somebody needs me. So one of the stories that, that we tell early on uh, that first year in marriage, I mean, first year in parenting, uh, Lois was probably just a few months old, uh, was that you know Lois cried out and I don't remember exactly what was going on. She had a really hard time sleeping as a baby. So... My, my assumption is probably just she was fussing. And so being the, the, the considerate and kind and ambitious dad, I got up ready to help, right? And so, by the way, I remember the story is I went in and gave it my best shot. Like I was doing the, the daddy bounce and the shush and the whole bit. And it just, you know, just that night just wasn't my night. And so I just, you know, after trying so valiantly, I gave Lois back to Amber and in my, you know, uh, uh, consider continuing in this, you know, heart of valor, instead of going back to bed and just leaving, you know, I went to the futon in the, in the living room to, to stay up with Amber uh, and to be, you know, supportive and solidarity. And it just, you know, probably it was just the last couple minutes. I just happened to doze off on the futon. So Amber came and woke me up and I went back to bed. That's how I remember the story. Well, Amber tells that night a little bit differently. The way she tells it, and you can, you know, pick and choose. But I don't know who's right. His, he said, she said, you know, but... Uh, she says, I got up and I never even picked up Lois. Like I was just totally confused and just kind of walking around aimlessly like what's going on in the world. And so she just said, you know, hey, you're useless. Just go back to bed. And somehow I just got turned around and just went to the wrong room and laid down on the futon. And so then when she saw that after she took care of Lois, she came and, and did. She woke me up off the, the futon. But then when I stood up, I stood up and was like just bouncing and, and rocking Lois back to sleep. And then I just said, she, she's too heavy. And I tried to give her to, and, and she's just looking at me laughing, like Lois is in bed. And I'm just standing there just like, I can't, I can't 
do it. I, I don't remember any of this, so really, he said, she said. You can, you can pick and choose which one's right. But I, I still uh, have a hard time. If I'm woke up in the middle of the night, I'm not the most uh, loving. I'm not the most helpful uh, because I'm asleep, and that's just not my best side. Uh, my college roommate, would he warned Amber ahead of time, like, hey, you wake up in the middle of the night, he's not fun, so don't, you know. There's my warning, like my disclaimer to everybody if we go somewhere together. Uh, and so I, I, uh, I know what it's like to be awake, but not really awake. Like to be, I, I'm physically looked awake. I physically looked alive and alert, and yet I was far from it. I was completely useless. Kind of somewhere between zombie and sleepwalking, you know, somewhere in between there. Well, this morning we come to the, the second to the last church in our series uh, because we've already done Philadelphia. So last, next week we'll be in Laodicea. Uh, so today we're in Sardis, and we've been going through these seven letters to the churches in, uh, in Revelation. They're all in the Asia Minor area, modern-day Turkey. Uh, and Jesus is writing this, all these letters, and today the one he writes uh, to Sardis, that uh, they, they, as a church, looked a little bit like I did in the middle of the night, that night when Amber was trying to get my help with Lydia. They looked like they were awake, and yet they were not. The church in Sardis was going through the motions, they were, you know, proverbially standing there trying to help out, and yet they were not doing what they were supposed to be doing. They were not doing what God had called them to do. So the same thing Amber wanted to yell at me, you know, that night is what Jesus did write down to them, and that was, wake up, wake up. So that's the first thing, if you're following along in your bulletin, and I will note, uh, this is not Lori's fault, this is my fault. If you have a bulletin, you'll see that you've got an extra paragraph from me. Uh, I meant to own that earlier in the service. Uh, that paragraph I send to Aaron every week uh, so that he kind of can pick the songs. And uh, I copied Lori on that email this week and didn't tell her why I was including that paragraph. So you got uh, the behind-the-scenes notes I send to Aaron uh, in your bulletin today. So there you go. That's why that's there. But anyway, if you're following along your bulletin, uh, Wake Up uh, is where we're starting out today. I, I wonder if, like I needed to that night uh, in the middle of the night, like Sardis did, I wonder if you need to hear that today. I wonder if you need to hear, wake up. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what uh, circumstances you're in. But, but the word here is to this church and to us to snap out of it, to get with it, to, to come back to life and to wake up. If we go through life uh, just sleepwalking, then we're not going to be much good. We're not going to be any good. And Sardis' problem was much more serious than, than that story I told you. They were not just, uh, you know, funny and didn't help out with kids. This was their spiritual well-being. They were asleep. And even more than that, it says they were dead. It said you had the reputation of being alive, but you were dead. Verse 1, Jesus says, I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. So wake up. So let, let this passage be a, an honest challenge to each of us today and whatever you're going through. Where's your spiritual state? Can you take an honest evaluation of your own heart before God? Do you need a wake-up call? Do you need to be woken up and to come back to God today? What's your relationship status with the Lord? How awake are you? How alert are you? Do you have the reputation of being alive? Or are you actually alive? Well, we, we don't, it is not hard for us to get our minds around what it means by a, a reputation of being alive. Like we could picture that. That's a, that's a, that would be a good thing. Like we don't want a bad reputation, right? A reputation of being alive is a, a good thing to say about a church. And, and you'll notice in that paragraph that, that Daniel read for us, if you're following along, 
we don't hear a lot of the conflicts that we hear to the other churches, the other ones that we've seen in this list. So far, uh, you know, people like Thyatira we saw last week had all kinds of problems. False prophets and sexual immorality and food sacrifice to idols, all kinds of things. Or in Smyrna, they weren't doing anything wrong necessarily, but they were facing all kinds of persecution and trials that came along with that. Here in, in, in Sardis, we don't read of any trouble. It's pretty peaceful. It's pretty low-key. They have the reputation of, of being alive, that things were, were going well. So everybody that knew about this church, they, they looked busy, they looked active, they looked like they were growing, and, and they were alive, that things were good. But imagine what it had been like for them to get this letter. So the whole book of Revelation really is one big letter written to these seven churches, and they all get these little specific notes inside the first of the chapter 2 and chapter 3. So like all of them, I'm sure when Sardis read uh, what we call Revelation 1, you know, the chapters were added later, but the first chapter, they were like, wow, this is an incredible picture of Jesus. And then as Jesus starts addressing these churches one by one, I can just imagine the people in Sardis kind of sitting back and getting comfortable. I mean, the church in Ephesus, as Jesus calls them out for leaving their first love, Sardis is like, that's not us. We, we love Jesus. And as he talks to Smyrna about the persecution and the, the, the tribulation there, and they're like, man, thank, thank the Lord we're not one of those people. And he starts talking to the church like we saw last week in Thyatira and Pergamum about sexual immorality and food sacrifice to idols. I imagine Sardis is starting to kind of you know, rug, shrug their shoulders like, hey, I don't have that problem or that problem or that problem. And they're feeling pretty good. They're feeling pretty good about themselves because they've, they've started to believe their own press. They, they have a reputation of being alive and they, they know it. They're happy with who they are. But then we get the letter to them, and Jesus says, I know your works, and you have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. That would have hit Sardis square between the eyes. Ouch. This, everybody thinks this about you, Sardis, but this isn't true. We can imagine this in, in any number of modern-day contexts today, couldn't we? And, and, and I, I'm going to challenge you know, us individually, but it's probably easier. Sometimes it's easier to see it in other people first. I mean, you could picture what this would look like. Man, take, take any good-named celebrity out there that seems to have it all. You know, it's the celebrity that's at the top of their game. They're, they're, they're producing something in their field. They're, they're on the top of the, the athletic charts, the music charts or whatever, and, and, and they're just rolling in the money. And, and on top of that, they seem to love their family well, and they've got a beautiful home and nice things, and, and things to be, seem to be going well, right? They have the reputation of being alive. Any number of churches look this or like, like this, right? And not just mega churches. Yeah, mega churches will look alive, but any size church can, can look alive and look like things are going well. Or any, any pastor can look like, hey, you're, you're, you're doing your job and things are going well and you seem to be bearing fruit. But we, we know what the difference is between having a reputation of being alive and actually being alive is. For, for the celebrity, it would be, it, it all comes crashing down when, you know, how many times we heard about a, a DUI or a divorce or some scandal that this good name person just all of a sudden, we don't know, it just came crashing down. We see really it was just a, a veneer, a facade, a, a fake thing on the outside. Any number of churches can look like their things are going well and then it all come crashing down. Or even worse, that things continue to go well, but the doctrines watered down and, and they don't teach the Bible. They don't talk about sin. They don't really talk about the gospel and they just want to make people feel better. And so it can look busy and active and yet not truly be alive. And of course, pastors, we're not immune to this. Many of us, many, many people have been in ministry looking alive and then things all fall apart for one reason or another. This, we know what it's like. 
We can see that in other people. We can see what other people would look like if they have a reputation of being alive and yet are dead. So if you could see what it looks like in others, could you see what it could look like in your life? Could, could, you, could you check your own heart? Can you evaluate your own spiritual condition honestly enough today to say, okay, do I have the reputation of being alive? If so, does that match reality? Does it match reality? Do, do, what do people think about you when they hear your name? When your friends, when your coworkers, when your neighbors, when they hear your name, what reputation do you think comes to their mind? Does it match reality? Is that true? If you took what they would say and an honest picture of your own life, if you could honestly write down your spiritual condition, would they match up? Are they the same? Or is there a difference? Is there a discrepancy? Are you, are you genuine? Does your character match your reputation? You're, you are good people. You are in church today. You, you are, I, I know that people that come here, uh, you, you, you have good reputations. And so my honest question for you is, does it match reality? Are we just putting on church clothes or does it match the condition of our hearts? The Bible over and over again addresses this issue uh, of the outside not matching the inside in any number of ways. Jesus called out the Pharisees over and over again for this. My, probably the most poignant one, the one I go back to a lot, in Matthew 23, Jesus says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! You are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanliness. So outwardly you appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Ouch, right? A pretty white rock that's nice and looks, looks like a, a yard decoration. Looks nice, and yet behind it it's just full of dead bones. That's what he compares them to. Or you take the same chapter, Matthew 25, 23, again he uses this word hypocrite. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are clean on the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside you're full of greed and self-indulgence. That word for hypocrite in the original was a, a reference to actors who would wear a mask, right? A hypocrite in this context is somebody who, who wears a mask. So on the outside, the face looks pretty. The face looks like it's got it together. The face looks like it's doing some kind of thing, but, but it really it's just an actor. Like an actor would go and play somebody else on stage and pretend to be somebody, and yet underneath the mask, that's not who they are. And Jesus says that's what the Pharisees are acting like. And that's what he's calling out the people in Sardis. They're, they're hypocrites. Their, their actual heart condition does not match the reputation that they're showing to any number of people. You know what it would have been like uh, to... Uh, to, to, you, you've been around people like that that you get to know. The question is, is that, is that our heart? Is that our heart? I, as I was reading this, I couldn't help but, but uh, think of any number of, uh, of funeral visitations I've been to. You know, those guys that, that work at a mortuary are so talented, and it's, it's a blessing to families in so many ways to be able to prepare somebody's body so you can say goodbye. And, and many times I have thought, standing there over an open casket, that this person looks so peaceful, and by the way, the you know, makeup, everything's done. They don't even look like they've died. They just look like they're sleeping. And that's good for us to be able to say goodbye that way. But, but you and I know that that person's not, not just sleeping, that they have, they have died. That the person's no longer there. The soul's no longer there. That's the comparison Jesus is making to this church, Sardis. You're, you're like somebody who's laying in a casket and they just have nice makeup on. Spiritually, that is a very, very difficult, very challenging comparison. So where are you? Where are you spiritually? Are you nice on the outside and dead on the inside? Jesus calls us to repentance. As a church as, and as individuals, we, won't, we don't want to just 
go through the motions. We don't want to just have programs here. We don't want to just say, hey, we just do 1030 on Sundays just because that's what we're supposed to do, and we've always done it. We just have kids stuff because kids are here, and you got to do something with them. No, we're not, we don't want to go through the motions of just looking alive. We are praying and begging and pleading that the Spirit Himself would give us true life, new life, that we'd be growing, vibrant, overflowing with life, not just an outward appearance of it. So Jesus says, wake up. Wake up. Aaron introduced me to that song this week, and you just sang it. Wake up. Wake up. Come alive. Come out of the grave. Come out of the bed. Don't sleep. Don't slumber. Come alive. Let what's the, the, the reputation of, of being good, let that become the reality of our own lives. The background on the, on the church in Sardis is pretty, pretty fascinating. Sardis was uh, a city kind of up on a hill, and they were known for, for they, the way the walls were built and the, how hard it was to get to, that their city, they, people said it was, it was uh, impregnable. You couldn't get into it. You couldn't break into it. And they had kind of a, a proverb in Greek, uh, the, the, the proverb of to capture the Acropolis of Sardis meant to do something impossible. So they would say, oh, that's impossible, like capturing Sardis. Like you just, you can't capture it. It's up on a hill. It's got these walls. There's no way to get into it, except for one time somebody did. Just a few hundred years, so this is you know, right around uh, the turn of the millennia, so this is 90 A.D., and so uh, a few hundred years before that, 546 B.C., the king of Cyrus of Persia sent uh, a few rock climbers, a few talented warriors who were rock climbers, to go in the middle of the night and to climb up the mountain and up and over the walls, and they took over the city of Sardis, the city who had a reputation of being totally impenetrable. Nobody can get there, and yet they did it. Not because, I mean, these guys were talented, I'm sure, but the only way that was possible is if the guards were sleeping. Otherwise, they'd have seen it. So the guards were asleep on the job, and the city got taken over 500 years before Christ. Surely they learned their lesson, right? They did for a couple hundred years. In the year 218 B.C., Antiochus the Great, Antiochus III, he did the same thing in Sardis. This city that everybody said, there's no way you can take over the city. There's no way you can capture it. He again sent warriors, rock climbers, in the middle of the night who climbed up there, got it in, over the wall and into the city, and they took over the city. Two times the city was found sleeping on the job. A city that was so easy to protect. It had the reputation that everything is great. Everything is safe. You're fine. You just got to stay awake. But they fell asleep. So Jesus seems to be pointing backwards in history saying, hey, you remember how, how politically or, or militarily this happened in your city? The church is now taking on that, that persona, that reputation, like the city went through hundreds of years before. They are confident, too confident in their having a reputation of being safe that they're falling asleep on the job. They're peaceful. Everything's going smooth. There's no tribulation, no struggle. But William Hendrickson, one commentator, said, yeah, they're peaceful, but they're peaceful like a cemetery. You know why a cemetery is peaceful? It's because there's no life there. There's no life. 9.15 in here, there was a lot of life in here at 9.30. Bouncing off the walls, kids, you know. It wasn't peaceful. It was rowdy. But it's life. That's not the picture there in Sardis. In verse 2, he says, to strengthen what's about to die. So they are on the verge of death if they don't wake up. He said, your works are not complete. They're lacking something. They're missing something. And so he calls them to wake up. How do they do that? What does it look like for them to wake up? Verse 3, he says, remember them what you have received and heard. Keep it and repent. 
So here's the key. What's it going to look like for them to wake up? Well, it's not coming from something they didn't already know. He's telling them to remember. At one point, they did understand. The reputation of, coming, of being alive came from being a church who actually was alive. They, they actually were growing in the faith. They knew what they're supposed to know. The problem is they have forgotten it. They have forgotten it. What, what is it that they were supposed to keep? What were they supposed to hold on to? It's, he's talking about the message, which is the good news, the gospel. Remember the gospel. That's the way you wake up. And when we wake up, we're called to remember the gospel. Don't forget what we're called to hold on to. He's, probably, he's saying that this church probably has not forgotten the, the historical facts of what Christ has done. That's probably not what he means by remember. All through the, the Bible, Old and New Testaments, uh, it talks about God and us remembering and forgetting. And it's usually not just about information. It's about are we applying this truth to our lives? And so when he calls them to remember, to remember what he's taught them, he says, remember them what you have received and heard. He's talking about applying the gospel to their lives, bringing the gospel forefront in their lives and living out of that truth and out of that reality. Have you remembered the gospel this week? Have you thought about Christ and what He's done? And is he, have you applied that to your life? The good news of the gospel starts with bad news, right? It starts with bad news that you and I are sinners in desperate need of a Savior. But the good news is that Christ Himself came, lived the perfect life you and I couldn't live, died the death we deserve to die, and then resurrected by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so that all who believe in Him can have eternal life. That's the good news of the gospel. Are you living out of that, or are you living out of your own strength, your own energy, your own power? This church had come, become ho-hum about the gospel. They hadn't really thought about Christ all that much. They didn't really care all that much. They were just doing church and going through the lives how they wanted to go. Maybe you're here today, and I imagine most of you have heard the gospel before. You've heard of who Christ is and what He's done. You, you know the gospel. Are you living from it? Are you remembering it? Are you constantly allowing that word to be put on your heart and living out of that truth? Does your life show that you remember the gospel? Or are there certain things you have forgotten? I'll tell you, I shared with you guys Thursday morning, that, that word remember of all this passage is the one that got my attention this week. Man, I, I mean, I've been through school. I've learned all kinds of things. All that I get to do, the blessing of being in ministry. And yet how easy it is for me to forget some of the most foundational things. Man, I, I'm, I'm in the Word. I'm praying. But I just had this sense this week, like, am I really following the Lord like I should? Like, is my heart really honest before God, seeking Him like you? I, I don't want to be somebody who's caught asleep. I don't want to be asleep. So I prayed, Lord, help me remember the gospel. Help me wake up to the reality we're in. If you look to your own life, can you, can you see some evidence of remembering the gospel? Or do you have evidence that you've forgotten it, that you've left it behind? I we, we probably could piece together what evidence of forgetting the gospel would look like, right? I mean, the last year of all the different challenges people have faced, I read this week that over the course of the COVID pandemic, a third of people stopped going to church or watching it online. Like a third of people who were in church just quit church altogether, at least for a period of time over 2020. A third, a third. And it's so easy to do. It's easy to get out of the habits, it's easy to get out of the rhythm. And I know many people are still trying to evaluate that and figure that out, but but don't get disconnected from God's people. We need one another. Where's your time with the Lord? Are you spending time with God? Are you in the Word of God? Are you spending time meditating on it? When's the last time you prayed? And not just a little bit before dinner, but, but deeply prayed and sought the Lord's face. Maybe you've been baptized in the last few years, and maybe you 
Your heart's not, not seeking the Lord like it was at that point. Are you, are you following the Lord today? Are you seeking Him or have you forgotten the gospel? Whether you knew the gospel for decades or just in the last few years, the call today to wake up is a call to remember the gospel. Remember what Christ has done. The gospel is not something you've done, not, not, not something you've accomplished. It's what Christ has accomplished for you. Remember the grace that you've received and live out of that. Wake up to that reality and come alive when you remember the gospel. Many of you may have seen the, the, the movie The Greatest Showman. Did you see that movie? The movie about uh, P.T. Barnum and starting the circus. Uh, you may or may not have seen it, but I promise you, you don't know the soundtrack better than I do. Uh, because that was the one that my kids picked out for, I don't know, felt like 10 years, probably wasn't, but a long time. Every time we got in the car, we listened to The Greatest Showman. And it is a great soundtrack, super catchy, and uh, all day I've been singing this song because I know I was going to reference this. So the song in there is uh, Come Alive, and it's this moment where uh, P.T. Barnum is recruiting all these misfits and oddballs to come and participate in the circus. And if you've seen the movie, he, you know, he recruits, uh, you know, a guy that's going to be like the tallest guy in the world and the shortest guy in the world, and the biggest guy in the world, and, and a guy who's covered in hair and a guy that's covered in tattoo and a woman with a beard, but who can sing like crazy. And there's all these misfits and oddballs. And he's trying to convince them to come out of the shadows of society and to come alive and to show the world what you've got to share. Don't, don't live, uh, you know, kind of beat up and in the corners, but come alive and come awake and share with them. So that seems like a great, and it is, an inspirational message, but, but where, do you, where do you get the change? How do you go from, from being in the shadows to coming out and showing the world? Well, this is what he says. Uh, so the, the bad side, he says, You stumble through the day, got your head hung low, your sky's a shade of gray. Like a zombie in a maze, you're asleep inside. Can't you hear it? This, this is what Sardis was. They're asleep inside. Like a, uh, you, but you can shake it away. Because you're just a dead man walking, thinking of your only options. What's the solution? He says, you can flip the switch and brighten up your darkest day. Take the world and redefine it. Come alive, come alive. Go and ride your light. Let it burn so bright. Where's the solution that Barnum points to? He says, it's in you. You got it already. It's already inside of you. I'm going to tell you, without Christ, that is false. Now, I love this movie. I get it. Like They're not preaching the gospel. Just pointing out. This is the secular theology that is everywhere we look. The solution the world tells you to all your problems is just deeper in your heart. If you just search deeper in your life, that will change you. If you just reach down really to the core of who you are and live out of your identity, no, no, that will not change you. Deep in our core, we are sinful people, wretched people. We need a Savior and we cannot save ourselves. If we just look inside our own hearts, we're just going to find more of the same. We need somebody to come and change our hearts. Inside, yes, he said, you're asleep inside. But you need somebody else to wake you up. Sleeping beauty couldn't kiss herself. Somebody had to come save her. You've got to have a rescuer. got to have somebody rescue you. There's a different song with the exact same title, Come Alive. Parentheses, Dead Bones, Dead Bones Made Alive or something like that. From Lauren Daigle. Similarly, she points out, that we're asleep and we need help. We need somebody to wake us up, to come alive. He says, she sings, uh, As we look down the road where all the prodigals have walked, and one by one the enemy has whispered lies and led them off as slaves. So that is, you're a dead man walking. You're a slave. You're going down the road as a prodigal, following the devil. You're, you're a dead man walking. you got nothing going for you. So what's the answer? What's the solution? Where do you, where do you get out of that? She says, but I know 
that you are God and yours is the victory. Victory, there it is. Revelation 2 and 3, the word conquer used eight times. Nike, overcome, achieve, victory. Yours is the victory, not from us, but from God. The chorus is, we call out to dry bones, come alive, come alive. We call out to dead hearts, come alive, come alive. Come alive, up out of the ashes, let us see an army rise. Come alive. Call, we call out to dry bones, come alive. Now, if you don't know that song or that reference, you're like, what? Dry bones. What is she talking about? This is a reference to Ezekiel 37, where God leads the prophet to this valley full of dry bones. And by the word the prophet speaks, the word of God that comes out through the prophet's mouth, the Spirit of God brings these bones to life. And it's this incredible picture of these bones beginning to rattle and, and the, the, the ligaments and sinews and stuff is starting to, to pull together and then skin and flesh. And from a valley of dry bones comes an army of God's people. And it's a picture of our salvation. That we on our own are just like dead hearts, dry bones. We got nothing. But the Word of God Jesus Himself who came to us and the Spirit of God who comes over us brings us to life. Those dead bones can do nothing to save themselves. They could get all the motivation they want and it wouldn't matter because they're dead. They're dry bones. But Jesus' Word goes out and the Spirit brings us to life. That Spirit is who Jesus is talking about in the first verse here. Verse, chapter 3, verse 1, He says, The angel of the church in Sardis write, the words, who has, the, the words of Him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. And if you've been tracking along, those seven stars back from Revelation 1.20, is talking about the seven churches. And so the point is that Jesus has all the stars, all the churches, and not just these seven. Seven's a number of perfection and wholeness. So he's saying, all churches everywhere, I got you in my hand. Jesus is saying, I got you. So that's a really good thing. It's a comfort, but it's also a warning. Like, Jesus is watching. He's right there. You're not, we're not a church that's just escaping the sovereign rule of the universe. No, he's, he's got us right here. And what do we need? We need the Spirit. He talks about the seven spirits, and all the commentators agree on this. This is, this is a way of talking about the perfection of the one Spirit. So seven, this number of wholeness, going to all seven of those churches, and therefore all churches. So what we need to come alive is the living Spirit. We need God's Word spoken over us and His Spirit who brings us to life. That's how you come awake. That's how you come awake. It's by remembering the gospel that Christ has died and resurrected. And for all who believe in Him, His Spirit comes out into our hearts and brings us to life. That's the picture of what it looks like for us as Christians to wake up and to remember the gospel. Now, some people in Sardis did. They had remembered the gospel. Some people, uh, they knew it. He says in verse 4, Yet you have a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments, and they walk with me in white, for they are worthy. Walk with me in white, for they are worthy. It reminds me of James 1.27, which says, Religion that is pure and faultless, pure and undefiled before God, the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction, and to keep oneself unstained from the world. The picture of people who have been made alive is that now they walk with Christ, and they don't roll around in the mud. They, they walk with Jesus. They walk in this holiness of life. So that Jesus told the church in Sardis, there's, there's a few of you who are doing that. There's a few of you who are walking with, he, with me. He says a few names. And that's, man, what an encouraging reminder. You, your name is not like a, a name in a phone book to Jesus. You know what the names, I mean, we don't use phone books anymore. You remember that. You remember those phone books we used to have? And you could go through there, and those names mean nothing to us, right? 
But Jesus says, I, I know these names. He's talking about your name. If you're a believer, he knows your name. He knows who you are. He knows your name. So there's a few names in Sardis who are walking with him and they have life. If Jesus was writing to Infinity Church today, would he, how many, I don't know how many names, he, how many would he say? There's a, few, there's a lot of names. I praise it. There's a lot of names. There's people I know. Is, is, the, is your name one of the names? Does he know your name? The evidence is, is in how you live. Your, your white garment doesn't come, you don't put the white garment on yourself. You don't save yourself. But if you've been saved, then you walk in holiness and you keep your garment clean. So is your, is your garment soiled? Are you polluted by the world? And that's evidence that you need Jesus. And you say, well, pastor, I, uh, I've done a lot of soiling. <laughs> I've done a lot of rolling in the mud. And I, I have really good news for you today. Do you know how these guys got this white garment? You have to read ahead just a little bit further in Revelation to Revelation chapter 7. Here verses 13 and 14. Then one of the elders addressed me saying, Who are these clothed in white robes? And from where have they come? I said to them, Sir, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. The only way your garment is white is if it's been washed in the blood. If Christ's sacrifice has paid for your sins. So if you say, yeah, pastor, I have been rolling in the mud. I've been living so far from the Lord. I've been rolling in every mud pile I can find. There's, there's not enough mud to outdo Jesus' blood. Jesus' blood is always stronger than the mud you've been rolling in. And He can wash your garment clean. My, my invitation, my call to you today is to wake up, to remember the good news of the gospel. And if you believe in Him, then He washes you clean. And you can live that way. You can walk with Him. My final line there for following your, in your bulletin is walk with Jesus in white. If He's made you clean, then walk with Jesus in white. Those who conquer are the ones who are clothed in white garments. And He says, I'll never blot His name out of the book of life. I will confess His name before my Father and before His angels. Uh, I learned this week that in, in Greek culture, the way they would do this is every city had their, their kind of their census. Their, here's the record of everybody who lives in our town, right? And so they got their, here's, here's you know, the 100 people who live in Sardis or whatever. But their, their habit would be that if somebody committed a crime and that person was convicted to be, to be uh, executed, before they were executed, they would actually go and to go to that registry in the city and they would blot out, they would, they would find a way to, to get the name out of the registry of the city so that when this criminal was executed, they couldn't say they were a citizen of Sardis. They'd be washed out. That, no, they weren't a citizen of anywhere. They erased him because they didn't want anything to do with him. And Jesus looks at us who believe and he says, your, your garment's been washed clean by my blood and your name will never be blotted out of my book. That's what he says to us who are believers. Listen, I don't know what you've been walking in. I don't know what puddles you've been walking through or stomping in. But Jesus invites you today to, to wake up. If you're still asleep, wake up and remember the gospel and walk with him in white. Do you hear that progression? Wake up. And when you wake up, this is what you got to think about. Remember the gospel and let that motivate how you live your life. Walk with him in white. Let's pray. Father, it's a blessing to know that you are here with us. Father, we are so humbled 
so humbled that you would speak your word to us even when we don't want to hear it. Father, we, we confess that our hearts are drawn to all kinds of things in this world. That we're, we're sleeping through your word. We're sleeping through the things you want to tell us. That we are not walking with you so often. And we're rolling around in the mud. So Lord, we pray that you would wake us up today. That you'd bring us to life. That you'd transform our hearts. Lord, if we know if it was just up to us, we would not be able to wake up. But God, we are so dependent on your spirit today. May, may your word that has gone out even now, even today, God, may it stir our hearts and rattle together dry bones and bring us to life so that we can ponder you, think about you, walk with you, live for you in the righteousness that you've given us, knowing that forever our name is written in your book. Father, if there are those here today who have never come to life, God, may today be a day of new life. God, if there are those here today who are asleep, at one time they had life, like the reputation of being alive, God, may you bring us to life for, for real. God, may your spirit work in our hearts today to make us like your son. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Hey, during our closing song, if you want to come to the altar and pray, come pray with me. I invite you to come to the altar. You can respond there in your seat. I invite you to remember the gospel today. May that change the way you walk. Let's stand and sing.